In the darkness and warmth of the earth, we lay you down, Tony. In the cycle of living and dying and rising again, we lay you down. It was a beautiful day for a funeral. The horse chestnut trees in Southern Cemetery cast wide shadows across the grass. As I stood in the sunshine, squinting up at the cloudless wash of sky, sweat needled the back of my neck. There were eight of us waiting for Anthony Doran, better known as Tony, to arrive. Only one of us had ever met him. As we say goodbye to your body now, just know that you will never be forgotten. May peace, strength and understanding grow from this sorrow and enrich our lives. This is the Manchester Weekly from The Mill. Hello, I'm Daryl Morris and Yoshi Herman is the editor of The Mill. Hi Yoshi. Hi. Welcome to this Sunday episode of the Manchester Weekly from The Mill. Today's episode is about the death of a stranger. The Mill's Danny Cole went to a public health funeral, the funeral the council arranges when the deceased has no next of kin, and was compelled to find out more about the stranger they were burying, and how that spiralled into something much more profound. Danny, welcome. Hey, Daryl. What happens when somebody dies in Greater Manchester, but they have no next of kin? Well, um, first of all, all the GMP will put out an appeal to the public. Um, so if somebody dies and no one's come forward to, to claim them, they'll, they'll put a post out on Facebook maybe saying, you know, this person has died. This was their date of birth. If you know anything about them, if, if you have, you know, if they're relatives, please come forward. Um, and then... I suppose they they just get put in a fridge somewhere um, and they just, you know, are stored for a while until, you know, maybe someone comes forward. And then if they don't, well, they just, you know, they just get buried. Wow. And so the, 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 the council arrange the funeral, everything gets put together for them on their behalf and that's that? Yes. Yeah, so councils, when, when no next of kin or a family is unwilling or unable to arrange a funeral, um, so sometimes cost, you know, the cost of a funeral is um, exorbitant or, you know, it's, it's a, a barrier. Um, the council, it's their statutory duty to make sure a person is, is buried um, just because it's um, in the interest of public health. So that's why um, these funerals are called public health funerals. Um, they were called pauper's funerals, but that term's now outdated because understandably, you know, people come from a myriad of backgrounds um, which has which have led them to, to this place. So yeah, so the council will take charge and make sure that person has a, a dignified and proper burial. And so you went to the funeral of Anthony Doran, Tony. Yes. How did you come to find out about Tony? Um, well, I was scrolling through, through Facebook actually, um, and I came across this this post in in one of the the community groups, and it was this woman called Haley, and she just said. I'm I'm conducting a funeral service for a man called Anthony Doran. Um, he died quite young. He was estranged from his family. Um, it would be great, you know, if people came along to his funeral to to send him off because, you know, he he didn't have anyone. And I was really taken by that because it never occurred to me that someone in this day and age could to die alone and not have any family. So that really touched me. So. Um, I got in touch with Haley and said that, that I would come along um, to, to see Tony off on his final journey. 
Wow. And so, so Haley is um, somebody who organises funerals or tries to gather crowds for funerals of people who otherwise may be buried alone. Yes, so Haley is actually a celebrant, so um, she officiates um, kind of ceremonies. So she she does do weddings as well, not just funerals. Um, she was quite keen to point that out to me when I when I had a chat to her. Um, so it's not all all sad, but yeah, she um, she gets asked to conduct services on behalf of people who have died alone, and she's really taken it upon herself to get as many people as possible to come to these funerals because she said, you know, if I don't invite anyone, then sometimes it would just be me and the people doing the funeral and that that's really bleak so she always goes out of her way to just try and get as many people as possible to just you know have give that person a really a nice send-off can you take us to anthony doran's funeral how was it can you paint the picture set the scene Oh, well, it was, Anthony was buried on the 9th of August, which was a Tuesday. Um, it was really sunny, really, a really lovely day for a funeral, which sounds quite morbid to, to say, but it was really beautiful. Um, and I turned up to, to Southern Cemetery, which is Manchester's, you know, largest cemetery. So I, I got a bit lost. So I was panicking. I was like, oh gosh, I don't know where I'm going. But eventually I found Haley by the main gates and one by one all her friends started to arrive and the, the thing about the Facebook post was it had you know almost a hundred likes it had loads and loads of comments from people saying you know I'll be there this is so heartbreaking you know I'll definitely come but you know on the day only a handful of her friends that she'd personally invited had, had come along so in the end there were about eight of us but it was nice in a way because Everyone, you know, they were all friends. They all knew each other. Um, Dan, um, Tony's support worker, Dan, was there as well. So Dan was the only person who had actually known Tony. So through Dan, we were able to sort of get an understanding and learn a little bit about Tony. But it, it felt like a gathering of friends, so that the atmosphere was really uh, upbeat, sort of light-hearted. But then obviously when Tony arrived, um, you know, we became quite sombre, um, you know, very quiet, very reflective. And we sort of, we went, we journeyed with him all the way to his, his graveside. Um, um, and then when I got there, you know, to the to the plot, so this is the public section of Southern Cemetery, you know, some of the graves didn't even have markers on them. Like you wouldn't even know there were people buried there. So we all sort of accompanied Tony. It was a really lovely service. He, he was a Northern Soul fan. So we, we um, had some music playing as we were sort of laying him to rest. And yeah, it, it was a nice funeral, actually. It was quite intimate and Haley sort of gave the service about 20 minutes so she always tries to try and find as much information as possible about the person who's died and after about 20 minutes it felt like you know we were we'd all been friends with Tony like it felt like we were Tony's friends um so yeah that was it was really lovely it was really touching service and I remember when you came back to the office um afterwards that you felt quite moved by it I mean it was obvious that you were already like you, it had been a positive experience, but it was obviously also really sad, just because it brought home that this guy had ended his life without mm-hmm. anyone. Like no, none of his friends had turned up, none of his family had turned up. Can you remember how you felt on that day? Um, well, at the beginning, when I was with all of Haley's friends, you know, it was quite, you know, I was quite, I felt, you know, quite happy. But then, as the service went on, I just got this overwhelming feeling of sadness, like, it, and it was like a very different kind of grief. So I've been to funerals before for relatives who'd been elderly, you know, gr- um, great grandparents, uh, grandparents who, who all reached the age of you know 90 and 80 um, and then there was Tony who was 53 so he's only one year younger than my mum and you know as you get older you realise how 
you know, your 50s, that's that's nothing. And I was really sort of deeply, deeply moved because it just felt so, uh, in a way, hopeless and really bleak because how do you die alone in this day and age when we've got, like, so much technology? We've got, you know friends on Facebook but this man Tony you know died alone in his flat and nobody discovered him for five days you know so that that really deeply moved me and it it made me realize as well that we can all we could all end up like Tony you know Um, when you're young you know you've got friends and family but then as you get older sometimes you know people you know people your friends may move away your family may move away or your relatives may die and you know we could all be tony so uh, in a way i was moved by the fact that these strangers had come together to to celebrate this life of this man that they'd never met um and then also i was just really deeply profoundly affected that you know he had no one at the end of the day so yeah i did have a big cry on the tram on the way back and all these people were kind of looking at me but it it was really it was shocking to me you know i think that was my first real experience of a death that had touched me in such a sort of meaningful way and that i guess compelled you to find out more about who tony was which is the beginning of the twists and turns in this story where did you start well, I guess it started at the funeral. So when I, I met Dan, his support worker, because I was saying, you know, what was Tony like? Who was he? And and Dan wasn't really able to give me a, a portrait of Tony because um, Dan, the support worker, he'd only known Tony for a few years. His interactions with Tony, you know, were once a week when he would visit him and they would only last a few hours. So I was sort of like, gosh, I need to find a bit more about Tony. And then Dan disclosed to me that he had actually been the person who had found Tony at the flat. So Tony um, had a mental health condition um, because of the laws of confidentiality, um, medical confidentiality here in the UK. Um, He wasn't able to tell me what the specific condition was, Um, but he did say that um, a symptom of Tony's illness was that he would sometimes think there were people in his flat when they weren't there. So he was living in supported accommodation and a stipulation in in that sort of contract, that housing contract, was if people living there do not make contact with their support workers for, uh, I think, for a week or they don't keep regular contact, you know, the support workers will come along and sort of knock on the door, enter the flat and see if they're okay to do a welfare check. Um, and yeah, and Dan had told me that he was the person who'd found Tony. They estimated he'd been lying there for about five days. Um, and that was really the moment I thought, how do you die and you know lie in a flat for five days and nobody notices you so I just thought you know I'd like to find a bit about Tony who he was and maybe I think my ultimate goal at the time was you know if there were any relatives or friends who who knew Tony who could come forward and you know um fight you know share share his story um so that was the moment really and and so you've got a picture that you've managed to pull together of Tony's last days and the situation he found himself in in his latter years. But I guess you wanted to go further and further back. Um, how? Well, this is the thing. So I think my first question was, how do we ascertain the cause of death? Because I thought, actually, how, how do you die? So... Um, the cause of death, the the police said there were no suspicious circumstances, so it was sort of ruled as a natural death. So I got in touch with Manchester City Coroner um, and said, look, I'm, I'm trying to find out about this man, Anthony Doran. Um, you know, I'd love to try and trace his family. You know, do you have the post-mortem report? Um, and the 
an email came back and said that the provisional cause was bronchopneumonia, which is actually a very um, common sort of cause of death. It's basically an it's it's a type of pneumonia that inflames the lungs. Um, sometimes it can onset very quickly. Sometimes it can take a while to to manifest, and often. Um, the symptoms are quite similar to having a cold, so you'll have a bit of a cough, runny nose, fever. Um, so if left untreated, it can cause serious problems. Um, so that was that was the first thing. I was like, okay, so this is how Tony died. And then from there, I was I was like, I fa- I thought. So Dan knew that um, Tony had been brought up in Rochdale, so I contacted people with the same surname up in Rochdale. So, you know, on Facebook, saying you know um, I'm looking to find out information about this man. This was his birthday. If you're a relation, you know, I'd love to get in touch. Um, And then I also went on Ancestry, um, just, you know, trying to see if I could find a birth certificate, any any relatives that I could trace. Um, Unfortunately, that didn't yield anything. And I think one thing that really stuck out to me about Tony's stories was that he had absolutely, like, no online presence, which which you would guess you know in the 21st century is quite unusual because we're all we're all over social media but there was absolutely nothing I could find out about him until I came across an article um, about an attack that happened in Burnley in 2013 and the name was Anthony Doran and that was the moment I was like oh gosh everything seems to match up and I, I thought I had the man what was the story? So in 2013, um, a man called Anthony Doran um, attacked a Sikh shopkeeper with a kitchen knife. Um, it was labelled as a racist attack um, and the article stated he was suffering from paranoid schizophrenia. Um, and his court case was in 2014 and the, the report said that he had been sent to um, a secure mental health facility indefinitely. Um, and so you immediately thought, OK, so I know that the Tony Doran I'm looking for has some sort of serious mental health issue he's the same age he's got the same name he's from the northwest you for i think weeks put the two together and just assumed that's the guy didn't you i mean that was the situation a few weeks ago when we were about to publish the this story that was that was what you had in your head i i had absolutely gotten it into my head and i think you're also sort of grappling with the fact that this guy that you'd grieved for turned out to have such a checkered past yeah so i guess at the time it was a lot of emotions it was shock surprise and then sort of like oh wow I found him because up until this point there had been no photographs of Tony you know I didn't know what he looked like Dan gave a description you know he was 5'11 sometimes his weight fluctuated but I had no picture of him in my head so when I scrolled down and I found this article there was there was this picture of a man I thought was Anthony Doran I thought wow this is Tony I've, I've seen him and then and then I thought gosh I cried at his funeral I you know I grieved I genuinely I grieved for him deeply you know for weeks and weeks just thinking about how he was you know in the ground alone nobody knew where he was and then yet you know presumably this was the same man who had committed a really violent attack against um you know someone who was you know an innocent sort of person so yeah that was kind of shocking and really surprising as well and there's another twist yoshi in the editing of this piece well yeah i mean we we were in the office together and we were putting the finishing touches to the piece when we had had an edit by by sophie and then it was really in just that final fact check phase where we were adding little bits taking little bits i was asking for clarification what was it about an hour before six o'clock so we normally try and finish our working day on friday at 6 p.m often it, it goes over but we, we then we try and schedule the piece for the morning so it's like once you've left the office the piece is going to go out in the morning 
anything without doing anything. And then I think I just said to you, you know, has 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 the support worker Dan has he confirmed that the, the the person in the CCTV images in this attack in Burnley is the guy that he knew and, and and you immediately texted Dan didn't you yeah so I took a screenshot of of the photo in the article and I sent it to Dan and I said oh Dan a thought's just occurred to me is this is this Tony and I was so confident of the answer because you know the thought had never crossed my mind because when you're investigating something and you just you know, you're just sort of knee deep and, you know, you spent weeks sort of trying to find answers and sort of like you, you get tunnel vision. So sometimes it just, you kind of block everything else and you're just sort of hyper-focused on, you know, I want this to be Tony, I want this to be this man. And then I get a text back and, and Dan says, that doesn't look like him. And I was like, wow. I was so shocked. I was like, oh my gosh, like, are you sure, Dan? And And then... He was like, oh, I'm not so, you know, he was like, it's not a very good picture. And then he said, no, that's not Tony. And and, and I remember we were kind of like, hang on, hang on, how can this be the case? Because we'd both become convinced that it was. And we were kind of thinking, well, Dan might be like out with his mates, like he might not have looked at it properly. So there was a kind of like, you were like, what can we do? And I was like, well, we have to hold the piece. You know, we're not going to run it tomorrow. So we, we held the piece. We went to the pub. And I think it was over the weekend that you got it double confirmed from from him and another support worker that it definitely wasn't him and then we had this question of what we're going to do with the story and I, I suppose we came to the conclusion that there was still a great story there and we should include all the stuff about how you thought it was this other guy because the thing about the racist attack it raised some interesting questions about like how you value people and like how you remember them and stuff so so i don't know do you think we got that decision right? Like we, we sort of pressed ahead after a few days of indecision, didn't we? Yeah, I think we did because at the end of the day, all, everything that I felt about Tony and sort of the initial assumption that he, you know, he had to t- committed this attack. You know, my feelings were the same. You know, I still went through that whole process of sort of disbelief, grief, shock, and then sort of acceptance. And actually, I don't think it would have changed how I felt about his funeral because you know I, I texted Dan as well and I said you know will he have a headstone and, and Dan said well no not he probably won't and I just remember thinking gosh that's so sad we should probably get him one so I don't know writing the piece was was like a a lesson for me and sort of my emotions and how I sort of treat people and how I view people who have presumably done you know terrible things in their lives and sort of uh, it was definitely like a a lesson in compassion and sort of a journey for me as well you wrote at one point did Tony deserve to die alone so that's in a a draft version of the thing so that's where your the sort of complexities the moral complexities of this were really pulling at you yeah because you know dying alone is seen as the ultimate indignity and it's you know it's something that when when there have been people who've done really terrible things and you know often it's like oh gosh you know i hope they die alone or i hope they have a you know a horrible death which which seems really you know horrible and cruel but you know when when there are instances where people have been hurt or you know physically emotionally or someone feels as though they've been wronged that it's the ultimate punishment i guess but I don't know, I think that we should all have dignity in death, no matter what the circumstances. And I think that's definitely something Haley and, you know, all the friends who were there at the funeral, they, they certainly believed. And another thought did cross my mind. I thought, you know, if Haley and her friends, you know, if they knew anything about the people they were going to the funerals for, you know, I wonder if they knew these people had done 
bad things in their lives, would they have still gone? And I think they would have. And I think that's, you know, it's a really beautiful and sort of profound thing to, to be a part of. It's a beautiful piece, Danny. A brilliant story, really well told. If you'd like to read Danny's story of a lonely funeral in full, manchestermill.co.uk is where you go. You can comment and subscribe to The Mill there. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing about this kind of journalism that Danny's been working on is it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of sort of group work in the office and stuff. So if you, if you want to support this kind of journalism and you listen to this podcast and you want to support the journalism that goes into the podcast, please do go to manchestermill.co.uk forward slash subscribe and you can become one of our millers and you can help help us do more stories like this because that's what we're trying to do. Danny, thank you. Thank you.